Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Thanks, Danielle. Thank you guys for being here. Happy Mother's Day out there to any of you guys who are a mother or uh, anyone who has a mother or uh, has uh, a work mom or likes to wear mom jeans. Really, anything I think for today would count. Uh, Happy Mother's Day to you guys out there. A special shout out to the real moms. Way Way to be, way to do it. Uh, And also, you know, this is a weird day for some, and, you know, I hate that that's the case, but it is, right? And so here's what I want you to just think about, and maybe as we're, like, processing through the rest of today, my only sort of admonition for this is, like, don't let a Hallmark holiday ruin your weekend, right? We all know this is kind of made up. Like, we need to care for our moms. We should probably do this a little bit better every day. So, like, just try your best not to make it a sad thing, but it is kind of terrible sad for some people, and if it is, that's okay. But anyway, uh, I'm getting lost on Mother's Day. It's tough to talk about these days, right? Uh, I heard on the like radio the other day they were like pregnant persons, and I was like, what is that? What does that mean? Pregnant women, you mean? Like, that's a weird thing. Anyway, that's not what I wanted to get into. Today, we're actually talking about self care, uh, if you've ever heard of that term, getting into even more hot button issues, right? Uh, Which self-care works really well on Mother's Day because that is exactly what moms get all the time, right? They just get plenty of time to hang out and take care of themselves. Uh, Probably not, right? In fact, this is a message uh, for the mom, or actually... I'm going to talk about uh, some sort of like hazards around self-care. So moms, if you feel like you just need to ignore this entire thing because you've never had self-care before and this really is a message for those lazy bums that never pick up their socks and uh, for who leave their dirty dishes in the sink or who uh, never give you a moment alone even in the shower, like if that's you right now and you just need to hide out in the bathroom... Uh, just because it's the only place where you could possibly be alone for five minutes, go ahead. That's fine, you know, whatever. Do you, you do you. But anyway, today we're talking about self-care. Uh, I know that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, and you may even think to yourself, like, I'm not really a person that gets into self-care. I don't really do that. But I'm, I'm defining that kind of broadly today. I want you to think of it uh, not just necessarily about, like, facials or watching Netflix all day or something like that, but think about this for yourself. What does it actually look like for you? Like, when the world is too much and you just have to, like, take a moment, you need some, like, alone time, what do you do? You have some free time, like, and you want to just sort of, like, care for yourself. What does that look like for you? Think about this. What do you do? Do you have some time that you've set aside that's like untouchable for other people? Like they can't access it, they can't change it, they can't do anything about it? Do you have something that you do when you like grieve something hard or when you face hardship? Like do you have a pattern? So whatever that is for you today is you're like conjuring that up in your mind. I want you to think of that as like this under this umbrella of self-care. We toyed around with like a bunch of different words when we were doing sermon meeting and stuff like that. None of them really, really seemed to stand. And so that's what we're going with today. And today, as we think about that, uh, we're going to look at the way that Jesus sort of related to self-care. But before we do that, we need to recognize something about the way that we even treated ourselves. And uh, that the thing that we need to recognize is that the, pandem- the pandemic really did like a number on us. 
with this, right? It really changed and shaped our mindset on this. I actually got to see uh, the CEO of Denver Rescue Mission this past week accept, like, an an award because he's, like, retiring. And I think he's been there for, like, you know, a few decades now, which is really, really crazy. And really, uh, Denver Rescue Mission is just a a phenomenal kind of, like, ministry that uh, is taking care of the homeless in our uh, city better than anybody else in a lot of ways. Um, And so he's retiring. He's been through a lot of hard and difficult stuff. And he teared up, not at, like, accepting the award, but actually in thanking his staff. And he was like, hey, there's like, you know, 400, or I think maybe it's 40 people. I can't remember. There's a lot of people that work for him. I know that's a big difference, but I don't do well with numbers. Anyway, uh, he was like, hey, there's a lot of people that work, and there's a lot of volunteers. And he shared this story about being in the middle of the pandemic and seeing these uh, people coming up and serving uh, the homeless uh, in the midst of all of the craziness and weirdness in the early days of the pandemic where we were all like scared to touch each other and talk to each other and uh, we were all hoarding uh, toilet paper and he's up there talking about these people who are like out there on like what is like beyond the front lines I think in this whole thing being worried about catching some sort of disease that they didn't even understand or know and these people are not getting paid like doctors right so like it was just a weird weird time and it made me really think like man how strange is it that while that was happening down the street from me uh, down the street from you people were serving at Denver Rescue Mission we were sort of like having this kind of collective concept this cultural idea of like hey man you got to take care of you you need to take some time for yourself. Hey, hey, you know, we know this is like a lot right now for everybody to handle. And so if you just like need a day, like take a day, right? Like it's fine if you can't do anything today. I know you can't accomplish anything. This is a lot. You need to rest. You need to take care of yourself. Like it's fine to have that like extra glass of wine. It's been a long thing. There's a lot weighing on you. It's fine to watch Great British Baking Show all day long because it comforts you, makes you feel nice, right? <clears throat> And listen, everything that I talk about today is going to be complex because it is a balance, right? If you never take care of yourself, then you're going to end up in a bad way. Sometimes you do need time to rest. Sometimes you do need time to take to yourself. So let's just lean into the complexity. Let's not just like instantly like put up a wall and say, I'm going to think this about it. I'm going to think that about it. And let's actually like lean into that, asking that question. The only question that I want to pose from this whole little diatribe is like, what have we done to ourselves by constantly, over the past few years, uh, sort of coaching, encouraging, and affirming each other in some form of this thing that we're calling self-care. What have we done? How have we changed? How do we look different? Because I worry, I worry that if we don't lean into the, the, the confusion and the difficulty and the complexity of this question, that there'll be less and less people to actually go and work at the Denver Rescue Mission. There'll be less and less people actually look out for someone else. There'll be less and less people to actually care. And we end up in a place where we care for ourselves more than we care about anyone else. That's certainly not the way of Jesus, and I don't think it's the way that any of us really want to live. And yet, if you're willing to take a hard look at your life with me today, and if your life is anything like mine, then you're going to begin to ask that question, man, what does my self-care look like, and what is it supposed to look like, and am I really, really, really doing it right, or am I just being selfish? So, let's take a look at when this happened to Jesus. 
Uh, verse 13 says this. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. So we have to ask ourselves before we go any further, what is the this that Jesus heard? And this is going to be very important. So this comes from the verses right before. This, this is 14, 10 through 12. Danielle didn't read this today. It says, he, who is Herod, sent and had John, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And the, his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and then they went and told Jesus. So that's the events immediately before what we're talking about today. So that is probably why Jesus is trying to get alone. This means, or if you think about it, John was at least two things to Jesus. One, they were cousins. Now, we have no idea what their relationship was, which I always think is strange, uh, but you probably have some cousins with all kind of different relationships, right? Uh, we actually, my dad used to be kind of, I'm getting, I'm spilling the tea on my family right now. I'm sorry about this. Uh, my dad actually used to be kind of like estranged from his brother. And so uh, one day my sister was like hanging out at like a lake party or something. They pulled their boat up to these other guys' boats or whatever, and they were like talking. And she's like, I'm Jennifer Cook. And he was like, I'm Andy Cook. And they're like, hmm, how strange is that? And lo and behold, it was our cousin just out there in the middle of a lake, right? Super strange. You might have that relationship with your cousin. We don't know Jesus' relationship with John the Baptist's cousin, right? Or John the Baptist as his cousin, which is a strange detail that I find they left out. So they could have been really close. They could have seen each other every single week. They could have uh, just been family reunion kind of cousins. They could have been once every 10 years. They could have been bumping into each other at the River Jordan kind of cousins. We don't really know, right? But either way, this would have been strange and possibly difficult for Jesus. The other thing that we know about the relationship is that John was the forerunner for Jesus. He was the, the sort of Elijah, the one that was like there to pave the way, to make known that Jesus was coming. We talked about this last week. So either way, Jesus here probably had a good reason to be upset, right? John was something to Jesus. He was the person that baptized him and really kicked off his ministry, if nothing else. He needed to take a minute. He needed some sort of mental health day. He needed some time alone, and those are good things. Sometimes you need to get away from it all. He needed time to grieve, and I don't think any of us would begrudge him that. In fact, it's even encouraging to think about that for Jesus, that here he is, like, in the middle of his kingdom mission. He's already kicked it off. He's in the middle of everything. He's about to feed the 5,000 and, like, calm storms and walk on water and all kind of craziness like that. And in the middle of it, something bad happens to him, and he says, hold on a second, guys. I need to get away by myself. This should be encouraging to us to know that Jesus is human just like you and me. It's important to remind ourselves that we need self-care too. And in fact, if this was the end of our passage today, we would just leave it in this place. We're saying like, hey, sometimes you need to prioritize taking some time alone. Sometimes it's okay, even if you're doing kingdom of God work, the most important work on the world, even if you're Jesus Christ, it is good to get away sometimes. Spend some time processing and grieving. You need to set healthy boundaries. You need to rest. You need to say no. You need to do things that fill you up. You need to prioritize yourself. And doesn't that feel nice? We could just stop there and end this whole story there. And then moms would go home and treat themselves to a huge brunch, right? Like, that's what we should do, but we're not. I'm sorry about that. So Jesus does two things that we don't actually do with our own self-care because that is where we try to leave it. And I think they can actually help us to have even better self-care days. Now, uh... To do this, we're going to have to sort of like recognize the type of story this is. Uh, in order to do that, we sort of need to talk about like descriptions of stories. Like, have you ever seen like Netflix? 
uh, descriptions of like the movie that's coming on. You know how sometimes they're like laughably bad? Like a Batman description might be like a rich guy hates crime but loves the color black. Or like The Office would be like a worker does something with jello and Michael gets himself in a jam. You know, those like terrible descriptions. You've seen those, right? Today, our bad Netflix description of our text is a man tries and fails at being alone, right? Because that's basically what happens. Jesus wants to be alone and he can't. The basics of the story are he wants to be alone, the crowds follow him, and then he decides to feed them, and finally later on, he gets alone. What's weird is this is a fairly common story throughout literature. It's kind of an archetype, uh, which is something so common that it sort of like creates its own pattern. You can go way, way back to like the time of Homer when he wrote uh, the Odyssey about Ulysses, which is basically like a story of Ulysses trying to get home after the Trojan War. And then that story gets repeated throughout all uh, different types of representations in literature. So you have James Joyce's Ulysses, you have O Brother Art Thou. Uh, it's mimicked in countless other books and TV throughout the years. And you even see it present in like other types of media and like other forms, right? This is basically the story of the Wizard of Oz, right? Dorothy is trying to get back home, and she keeps on getting distracted as she's going down the yellow brick road. There's an episode of Scrubs where J.D. really, like, has to kiss J uh, Elliot before the timer runs out, or he'll be friend-zoned forever, but he just keeps on getting distracted along the way, right? Like, you have seen this. It's also uh, the worst episode of Ted Lasso. If you watch the show, then you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Uh, Beard is trying to get somewhere. We don't even know where, right? He's just being weird. But he just gets distracted along the way, right? So I want you to, like, think about that. I'm not just sort of, like, doing pop culture happy hour out here or something like that. Uh, I want you to think about that and notice, because this is, this is something that's huge for me. Whenever you see a story repeated throughout all of history, whenever you see it repeated throughout literature, you should really ask the question, what is this telling us about human beings? Like, what is this telling us about ourselves? I think what this is telling us is that we hate distractions, and we fight to avoid them. I mean, for me, I'm a planner, I'm a schemer, I am like setting, you know, an order of things. It's in fact one of the biggest fights that Sarah and I get in. Sarah will come home on a Friday and I'll say, grab your purse, we're going. She'll say, where are we going? I thought we were gonna relax. And I go, I know, we gotta get started. Or if we don't get started, then we're gonna miss it, right? Like I've got a full plan of this. And she's like, no, that's not relaxing, right? And then when stuff gets disrupted and all of a sudden I have to do something that I wasn't planning on doing, I act like it's an affront to me personally. Does anybody else do this? Like I'm like, oh man, I can't believe our gutter fell off our house and now I have to put it back up. I had a plan to sit on the couch today, right? Like, and I'm mad, like that gutter did it personally. It's looking at me. It knows I had a like self-care day planned out. That's not how Jesus acts. <clears throat> Jesus doesn't get frustrated and fight to own and control his me time. He doesn't see the disruptions and interruptions as enemies. Let's look at what happens. So uh, picking up again in verse 14, it says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away and go into the villages to buy food for themselves. Which is a reasonable suggestion, by the way. The disciples aren't bad guys for saying this. That makes a lot of sense, right? They're like, hey, there's no food here. It's getting kind of late. Why don't you send these people back to the villages? 
But Jesus said, they, do not, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish. And he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So that means in addition, or there are 5,000 men plus women and children. Now I want you to recognize something here, that Jesus could have said no. He could have sent them away. He could have called in sick. He could have set a clear boundary, but he did not. He was in the middle of his quiet self-time, self-care, me day, whatever it is. And he saw people that needed love and care and healing and food, and he gave it to them. And he did it miraculously. He looked up to the heavens, to the creator and sustainer of all things, to the one who made food, the one who makes wheat to grow and populates the ocean with fish, the one who makes all of this. And he bent the forces of nature and physics to his will to make more of it in that moment. And all of this was for a distraction and for an interruption from his own personal me time. Like put it in the context here. John dies, Jesus hears about it, he says, I need to be alone, and the story ends with him feeding thousands and thousands of people for him healing the sick, for him teaching them, and he does it all without bitterness, without grumbling. We have no indication here that Jesus is upset at all. In fact, the disciples are making a reasonable request to say, hey, how about we just call this session over? Jesus, I know you're trying to get away, so we're just going to send them out to go get some food, and he's like, no, I have more to say to them. I need to be with them longer. We're going to do a miracle here so that I can feed these people so that they can stay here longer. I think the other point to these types of stories that we see throughout literature is that life is really built up of the distractions. That disruption, that wrong turn, that unexpected complication is actually what makes life worth living, and yet we very often see them as threats to our own self-care threats to our happiness and well-being. I think what would be helpful to us as we think about self-care is creating sort of a rule of thumb here based off of the life of Jesus. It's going to be one that I'm going to apply to my life, and it is if your self-care doesn't help you to care for others, it is selfish. If your self-care doesn't help you to care for others, it is selfish. Here's what I mean. A few years ago, I began taking a day uh, every once in a while of silence and solitude. So I would go out and I would just sort of like be alone with God. I would take a notebook and a chair and I would go out in the woods. I would turn my phone off. I would just sort of be out there alone. I had no agenda, no plan. I was just there in silence and in solitude. And what happened was something magical. God met me in that place. God meets me regularly in that time. And I would uh, go out for a little bit of time, and I would come back refreshed, ready, like my sermon would be better that week. I would come back a better husband, a better father. I would be more at rest in my heart in Jesus. I was a better pastor and a better friend. My eyes would be open to the needs of people around me. Like I really would just go, go out into the woods for one day and then come back ready to like serve and love people around me in a better way than I was before. 
But then something strange started happening. I started doing it more often. I started thinking like, oh, if this is good, then maybe more of it would be great, right? I started telling other people no more often because of it, setting aside that time, setting that boundary. People are like, hey, can you help me move? No, can't. Silence and solitude today. Hey, can you answer this email? Can you do this thing? No, no, no. I am away today. I need to prioritize this time. It is good for me. Then I noticed something else that started happening. I used to like fast on those days, and then I turned it into like, hey, why don't I just go out for like a nice long lunch on this day? That's still pretty quiet, right? Like, so then I started like treating myself, you know? And then what happened is, as I sort of like began to progress even further in this, I started hating anything that would disrupt that day. Like Evie gets sick at school and I need to go pick her up and I'm like frustrated and mad at the way that that ruined that day. And do you see what I'm going with this, right? That like my own self-care and in fact doing something that is good and healthy for me grew into something that was nothing short of selfishness. My self-care became a form of self-indulgence. It didn't help me to serve others. It was just a way of serving myself. And I wonder if you would, like, go with me for just a moment to, like, indulge ourselves and think about, like, our own self-care, like, what your personal type of self-care is. And if you would ask yourself this question, then is it really helping me to serve and love others better, or is it just my own personal self-indulgence? And when we do more and more and more of this self-care time where we're justifying, just spending time only caring about ourselves, it becomes a lifelong kind of treat yourself. And if that's the case, then what good is our lives? If your self-care doesn't help you care for others, it's selfish. We need to look to Jesus because we would give him every right to have space and time to grieve and to process the way that he sees fit. We would say, hey, this is a good and healthy thing for you, Jesus. And instead, he sees a, needs and put, or sees a need and puts other people's needs above his own. I think in some ways, Jesus is like the ultimate mom here, right? I don't know if that's heretical or not, but we're going to go there. He's out there trying to get just a little bit of time for himself, just a little bit of break, but it's dinner time. And as we all know, that's mom's responsibility, right? And uh, there's only a couple of fish and bread for a thousand people. And this is where moms really come alive, right? Like they bust out that crock pot. All of a sudden, whatever you've got in the cabinet is enough to feed a million hungry people, right? You're thinking about this Jesus mom thing, right? All right. Uh, So uh, just as a little bit of a side note, you might should thank your mom for every time that she acted like Jesus and was the last one to actually get a plate. The only litmus test that I can think of for how we know when we're being like Jesus uh, and setting aside our self-care so that we can actually help and serve others and when we're being sort of like self-indulgent is to ask yourself when you're taking self-care, how does this help you to care for others? Because that's the way that Jesus lived his life, not with his own life coming first, but prioritizing others, how he calls us to live. He says himself that the greatest commandments are to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. So when you're testing yourself in your own relationship with self-care, you should ask yourself the question, how does it make you a more loving and caring and Jesus-like person for taking this time? Which brings me back to Jesus. What did he do with this time that he eventually gets at the end of our story? Verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat 
and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. I'm always fascinated by languages that, uh, or language that is new, you know, and like fresh, you know, like it just comes out of nowhere. Think about all of like the language around this kind of stuff that didn't exist a few years ago. Self-care, was that really a thing a long time ago? Taking like a mental health day or having like a mental health crisis. These are things that are commonly known by everyone, but I'm not sure how long they've like existed as phrases. I'm even a little bit suspicious if I can just get extra ranty for just a moment, all right? So you can throw this away. This is probably not biblical. I'm kind of suspicious of the whole self-care industry. Have you noticed this? Like, it's kind of scary when some of the biggest people talking about self-care are like Neutrogena and spa companies or something like that. They're like, you need to take good care of yourself, right? So like, we should have a little bit of a red flag there. This is like an implied thing, like you'll be happy if you can pay for this product or you can uh, pay for this experience or something like that. But that's not what Jesus does when he takes his self-care day. He doesn't get a facial. In fact, uh, if you think about it, the idea of like someone rubbing mud on their face uh, would probably pretty, be pretty strange to Jesus, right? Living in this time when like mud was everywhere and he's like, wait, you paid how much? so that you could like sit in a pot of mud. That is crazy, right? I don't know if Jesus would care about that. Anyway, that is not how Jesus did his, uh, his me time, his self-care. All we know that Jesus did was he prayed. He didn't just spend time alone. He actually spent time with God, which is infinitely better than being alone. See, because I've learned something pretty amazing that most of the time... Uh, when I need some like alone time or I need some me time, I've discovered that I can't fix me. But a lot of times I'm unable to heal myself. Now I'm not talking about like, you know, setting goals or fixing a sleeping habit or something like that. Like there are things that you can do to make yourself better. Please understand and I'm not saying that that's like not the case. But I'm talking about like true heart level, soul level healing I just, I don't know that we're actually capable of doing it on ourselves and doing it to ourselves. And yet we very often think, if I can just take this one more day alone, if I can like get away, if I can just do this one thing that I want to do, then all of a sudden my soul will actually be healed. I'll feel better. I'll be kinder to everyone else around me. I'll be more loving. My heart will be opened to them. That's really what we're after in self-care, Right? something being changed and healed inside of us, a release from the heaviness of this world, a cure for anxiety, a hope for true and deep and abiding rest. I don't think we get it by ourselves. I don't think it comes from us. I think that's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28, he said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. has to be the most like the moment when you like feel just so seen by Jesus right he's saying like come to me all of you for whom life is hard come to me all of you who are working hard who are heavy laden who are carrying heavy burdens and then he says and I will give you rest the point is this that we're all running around like Ulysses trying to find our way home we're all Dorothy trying to get back Uh, to some sort of place of rest, of comfort. And we've been told a lie, and we are telling the lie constantly to ourselves that we can find that answer in here. That we have the capacity to create it for ourselves. 
but it's not. And the even better truth is that there is someone out there who is willing and able and desirous to give you that rest. See, Jesus doesn't come to challenge our self-care. He doesn't come to attack it and take it away from us. He comes to make it good. He comes to make it actually worthwhile. He comes to make it mean something. And that's why if you want true self-care, you need to bring a better self into your care. Man, if it's just you out there, you know there's a finite amount of healing and change and growth and rest that you can actually achieve. But if you bring a better self into that self-care, if you bring the God of the universe into your self-care time, the results can actually be transformative. Because there is a God out there who wants you to be healthy and well more than you do. Think about that for a moment. He loves you more than you love yourself. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he wants you to be well. He cares. He wants to be with you. I think God is sort of like when you like face like true hardship, you know, like you have a, a death in the family or some sort of illness or something like that. And you have that one friend that comes over and like, you know, doesn't just bring you a casserole, but then they like take out the trash and they're like, you know, calling your work and saying, hey, they're not going to come in. And they're just like taking care of you and you're just being held and comforted and known in that moment. God is even more than that. I always love this verse from 1 Peter chapter 5. Because if you think about it, Peter was one of the people that spent the most time with Jesus. Peter was this guy that was running around, always sort of bumbling, getting into trouble, and Jesus was taking him out, right? Jesus was infinitely gracious and kind to Peter. Peter knew Jesus on a deep and intimate level, and this is what he writes about him. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Some of us here need to be invited to cast all of our anxieties on the God of the universe who loves and knows and cares for you because he cares for you. Probably even more than you care for yourself. I think there's two responses that we can have from this. I think one is if you've been looking for this rest and care and love and concern in all kinds of different places, I think we all need to know in this moment, we all need to just reaffirm in ourselves or maybe even affirm for the very first time that like it's really only found in Jesus, right? Because you're not going to find it other places. And then if you want this care and rest and love and concern from Jesus, if you want to feel the, the experience, the feeling of being held in his hand, and you can have that today. All it takes is admitting that you've been looking in all kind of wrong in different places, admitting that you've sinned, that you've gone away from him, confessing that you need him to forgive you of those sins. And then from there, it is eternal life with him forever. It has to be better than any self-care we can possibly come up with, right? I think for those of us who are already trying to follow Jesus, 
would call ourselves follower of Jesus, why are we looking for everywhere else for something that he promises us? So here's like three wins that we could take away from this. A big win would be instituting a true and abiding Sabbath. Just like God intended us to take. God's antidote to burnout and a necessary component for a full life. Spending a day, one day a week, actually dedicated fully to him. A big win would be taking some times of silence and solitude where you say, hey, I'm not just going to spend time alone. I'm actually going to spend time being with Jesus. I'm not going to spend time just indulging myself. I'm going to bring a better self into my self-care. But those are kind of, those are big asks, I understand. And if you want that, if you desire that, pray to God to give you sort of the courage and wherewithal to be there. But how about this just for like a small win, just a little win, an easy one. The next time that you find yourself with this type of time, maybe it's this afternoon, maybe you've set aside a little bit of time just for you this afternoon. The next time you find yourself at this time, I want you to just open with a prayer and say, God, I'm going to cut the grass right now. God, I'm going to actually unwind right now. God, I am actually going to rest in this time. Would you be with me? Would you join me here? Would you reveal in me what you need to reveal? Would you show me and give me rest that I can't manufacture myself? Would you actually come and heal me? And I believe that God is ready, willing, and able to do transformative supernatural things in you in that time. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.